0: Welcome to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Woodzik. This is episode 47 with Gail Liston. She's an actor and a director, and she is currently starring in Dead Man's Cell Phone, which is opening October 9th at Whidbey Island Center for the Arts and running through the 24th. More info and ticketing information at wiccaonline.org. I so admire Gail's work ethic. She's one of those actors who's truly dedicated... Went right from getting an undergraduate in theater to an MFA, and I so admire her. And so it was great to sit down and talk to her. I do make a mistake. I I cite Sarah Rule as a Pulitzer Prize winner. She has been a finalist multiple times. She totally should win a Pulitzer. She probably will. But I did misspeak, and so I apologize for that. This episode is sponsored by Hedgebrook, Women Authoring Change. Hedgebrook is a literary nonprofit located on Whidbey Island. It's a retreat, it's programs out in the world. Find out more at www.hedgebrook.org. And now enjoy episode 47 with Gail Liston. really thrilled to welcome a good friend, killer actress, Gail Liston, to
1: the podcast. Welcome, Gail! <laughs> Thank you, Katie. I'm very happy to be here.
0: So, you are just about to open Dead Man's Cell Phones yes. at Whidbey Island Center for the Arts. Although I love Sarah Rule, I've been reading her book of essays, 100 essays I don't have time to write, which I recommend to all of our listeners. Uh, I don't know much about this place, so can you tell me all about it and how what your role is? I just... I'm so
1: excited to see it. Tell me all about it. Yeah, I love this play. I love this play. I, it is one of the most exciting plays I think I've ever worked on. The writing is so beautiful. It's um, it, takes, it begins in a cafe. There's a woman who is my character, Jean, sipping a cup of coffee, writing a letter, and a man's cell phone begins to ring. And it rings and it rings and it rings. Finally, she asks him to turn it off. He doesn't turn it off. Finally, she goes over and answers the phone. She takes one message, kind of touches the guy, and realizes that he is dead. At this point, she develops a sort of bond with this dead man, keeps his phone, and through ownership of the phone, becomes involved in his life. And it's quite fascinating. The character of Jean is very empathetic character and she has a calling to help people so this phone becomes a way for her to to form a new life's mission to help the people in gordon's life that's really really interesting wow yeah it's it's really cool the writing is so beautiful it's a real challenge as an actor to work on it at the same time i have so much respect for sarah roll she writes well you probably know this You've, you've worked on her stuff right so sparingly she uses so few words, and yet they are so beautifully, perfectly chosen that it can have a five word sentence that would be a paragraph if somebody else wrote it, and those few words are so tremendously evocative.
0: and I found that in reading, reading her book of essays she talks about how playwrights can learn a lot from poets, and so that makes that makes absolute sense and it amazes me how prolific she is. she's yeah. just writing writing new pieces. All the time. Almost all of them are Pulitzer nominated
1: or winning, right? Yeah. And so she's she's
0: amazing.
1: Yeah, it's stunning. It's so layered and so textured. And you look at it, and she has, some of it is written in verse. These simple little lines, a few words, but the more you work on it, the more you discover. And the more this richness comes out. And as an actor, I love that. I love that. I, I love things that aren't too cluttered right and that allow you to fill in all this subtext and do the work for yourself and yet she leads you there so you're not floundering she leads you there brilliantly it's just it's it's just been a real joy but a real joy to work with
0: so the production is directed by Phil Jordan
1: Phil Jordan who is just a gem i can't say enough about we love things you Phil. Phil yeah he's wonderful
0: he's such a thoughtful thoughtful and intentional theater artist yeah. i find what's what's his rehearsal room been like just
1: a pleasure no drama beyond the drama you know everybody gets along he has probably the perfect temperament to be a director he doesn't get ruffled or if he does get ruffled he doesn't show that he gets ruffled which is really really (laughs) important he has a very very clear vision um a very clear plan for every rehearsal so that the time is utilized wisely we get there we get to work we do we're Set out to do, and then we go home. So it's perfect. We're not exhausted. <laughs> We're not frustrated. <laughs> we laugh a lot, even though some of this work is really intense. It's just a, been a joyful experience. Everybody's everybody's rowing the boat the same way.
0: You're similar. We both we both have acted and directed, and there's sort of that. I don't know if you find this. I catch myself sort of uh, not judging, but like learning my directing gets stronger each time I act and see what I like or or don't like from a director and directing, you have to be, it's not, people think it's this kind of all fun and games and a benevolent dictatorship. And you have to do so much counseling and
1: coaching, dramaturging. It's, um, it's not as easy as people think. Absolutely. It is tremendously difficult, which is why I haven't done it in a while. (laughs) (laughs) do I really want to do this again? It's very, very hard. And because, uh, I mean, you ha- first of all, you need to have a very clear vision of what you want or you can't convey it to anyone else. And then you have to know how to talk to an actor. And not just any actor, but each specific actor because every actor needs something different. I mean, I'm not going to toot my own horn here, but I need a different sort of direction being, you know, highly trained and been doing this for a long time than somebody who is doing it for the very first time. And... You know, some Some people who are very new to theater might ask a question like, Phil, how do I say this line? And he will help them to come up with a way of delivering that line. Now, if a director tells me, say it like this... I'm ready to ring his net. Don't tell me to say it like this. You don't know, don't give me a line reading. Yeah, don't give me a line reading. Give me an intention to play, or give me um, some tactic that you want me to use. But don't say, "Do it like this." But that's the director needs to know how to gear him or herself to the specific actor and their needs. So it's, I mean, it's true, especially in community theater, because you have actors that are everything from very first time floundering have no idea what to do to been doing it professionally for right. years and are just not doing that anymore so it's it's the whole spectrum and the director needs to know everything <laughs> the keys to the universe yeah really and and plus you deal with designers and You need to be able to talk to designers and know how to ask for what you want. So a director really needs to be skilled in every aspect of theater if they're going to do their job effectively. Absolutely. So talking about directing and the cast, who else is in
0: this wonderful cast of Dead Man's Cell
1: Phone? Well, funny you should ask that. (laughs) (laughs) Because my wonderful husband, Brian Plebenick, plays uh, Dwight, who is my love interest, and... um, the the brother of the dead man Gordon, who is played by Jim Carroll, and um, it, it's really fun to do this with Brian. It's um, we fall in love in the play, and we have a scene where we're I, I don't want to give too much away, but we do have a, a romantic scene <laughs> that is rather long, <laughs> and it's only as actors. You no, know, we've all done love scenes once in a while, and. No matter how experienced you are, no matter how many times you've done it, it's always a little awkward. Right. When you're Absolutely, going and you're yeah. doing smoochy <laughs> with somebody you don't know, it's a little awkward. And you spend the first few rehearsals just kind of getting over the awkwardness and saying, well, do you, to, do you want to do the kiss tonight or should we wait? Should we wait till tech? Should we just do the kiss? We just do the kiss and get it over with? You know? When it's your husband, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you just do the kiss. You can eat garlic before rehearsal, it doesn't matter. You know, Brian came in one night and said, oh, I had a salad. I have garlic in my breath. I said, I don't care. I've smelled you. You know, it doesn't <laughs> matter. So it, it's it's just, it, it removes that whole layer, and you're just able to get to work and do the work. And so it's been fun, and it's just been fun for us. And we already have a rapport, of course, so it's it's fun just be able to utilize that on stage.
0: I always think so fondly of you two uh, whenever I watch the movie Waiting for Guffman. <laughs> and there's there's the couple who come in in matching windbreakers and audition together. <laughs> like, it's Brian and Gail. Of course, you two are much more talented than those actors, those characters. But,
1: it's Brian and Gail oh. waiting for Guffman. Yeah, we have shown up in look-like outfits before though. <laughs> it's terrifying. Guilty! It
0: Alright, really <laughs> so Jim Carroll, Brian Plemodeck,
1: who else is in the cast? Um, uh, Nancy Pfeiffer plays I Gordon's Nancy. mother. She's wonderful. She's doing wonderful work. Uh, her role is so intense. She's a she's a mother grieving for her dead son, mm. and how difficult is that to put you through every night? And she's doing some really beautiful work and um, very controlled. And it's just and she's a pleasure to work with too. She's such a nice person. And uh, Kathy Stanley is in it, who I've known for years and is also just uh, always there for you, very professional, does her job. And she's doing some, I I think kind of fun, it's going to be kind of funny that Kathy being a a school teacher is doing this scene where she's drunk and talking about sex (laughs)
0: Folks, we... you heard it first here.
1: That's, that's, that's worth the price of admission right there. Yeah. We should have student night. No, we shouldn't have student night. I don't think so. Because she teaches like second graders. Yeah, yeah. That would be very Oh, Mrs. Stanley, what are you doing? What does that mean, Mrs. Stanley? It would be hilarious. But yeah, she's she's doing a wonderful job. And uh, Susan Hansen is playing the other woman. She the other is. woman. Uh, yeah, she's relatively new to, to theater. Right. She's doing a great job. And she's... Um, She's a very nice person to work with. She's very prepared. She comes in ready to go every night, and um, she's she's doing very very well. She's she's a pleasure to work with. So everybody in the cast is just rowing the boat the same way. It's very very pleasant. So folks are going to want to visit
0: wiccaonline.org to get tickets. You open on the ninth. We open on the ninth, and then yes. run for three weekends. Three weekends. Don't miss this show folks. So we're going to take we're going to take a stroll down the artistic <laughs> life of Gail yeah. Can you remember the first play you were in? Was it a church play, a
1: school um, play? It was a school play. It was called The Princess and the Dragon. <laughs> and I played Queen Galena. Oh. And I wore a gown and a tiara and jewels. And I walked i had it, it wasn't a very large role, but I had such a beautiful costume I didn't care, and my big moment was when my cowardly king uh husband went running down the the roll it was in the cafeteria, running out of the cafeteria, and I walked calmly after him and said, "There goes the very brave King Carraway." and the audience just burst into laughter, and my little face was just beat red, but I thought, I love that sound." <laughs> I want more of that sound in my life. So that was kind of when I got hooked on theater. I was 10, oh. fifth grade. And so, so did,
0: your, did your school had, have a high school theater program?
1: We had a high school theater program. And freshman year, I enrolled in beginning acting. And that's where I met my husband, Brian Plevenick. I love this story. I know
0: I've written this story, but will you tell it again for our listeners?
1: Yeah, well, we met in acting class. Um, We were acquaintances throughout high school, but we never dated. I thought he was actually kind of... He was always getting in trouble. He was (laughs) the one that was always talking and always getting in trouble. And I remember our our drama teacher, Mr. Pendrick, saying, Brian, be quiet, Brian, all the time. It was always Brian. And um, then we graduated and parted ways. And at our 20-year high school reunion, he was one of the first people I saw as I walked in by myself, single, and recognized. And so I immediately gravitated toward him. I saw him the name tag. Oh, somebody I know. Hooray. It said Brian Plevinick, And he didn't remember me, but I saw him kind of look at my name tag and say, oh, Gail Liston. And I thought, you know, he's kind of cute. And we <laughs> talked a little bit. And then he said, would you be my dinner partner? And I said, Okay, and we were dinner partners, and uh, he was living here on Whidbey Island at the time, and I still lived in Southern California, so we kind of hit it off and started dating long distance for a year, and then I made the plunge and moved to Whidbey Island.
0: We're so glad you did.
1: Yeah, it was, I love it here, and it was a big plunge, too. I was just about to do my first directing at the college where I was working, Victor Valley College, and um so I gave that up, but I thought, you know, sometimes you just have to take a, a plunge. You just have to do it. And I thought I can always come back if it doesn't work out. And it turned out to be the best thing I've done. You never know. You never know what little thing is going to totally change the course of your life. But I've had such a, a wonderful time here. It's just a great place to be. And it's such a wonderful um, artistic community. In yes. all all sorts of ways. To think that it's such a, a small town, and yet we have this wonderful arts center. We have um, we have Outcast. We have um, the Shakespeare Festival. The Shakespeare Festival. All this nice, high quality. Uh, Theater that's stunning, In places where I've been before. I mean, there's community theater, but it's there's the kind one, where, right? yeah, there's one community theater, and it's like everybody gets to let's put on a show for our friends. There's no sense of theater discipline, which drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. In community theater, and people just, it's just it's just fun and games, and the quality of the theater reflects that. And I'm just not interested in doing that kind of thing. Here on the South End, we're so lucky we have um, Wicca where. There are real professional standards in that theater. It's very professionally run. And Production of course, it's open really to high. everybody. Yeah. But it is run in a professional manner. And you learn theater discipline through working there. And uh, OutKast is that way. Shakespeare Festival is that way. So we're we're really fortunate to have that.
0: Going back to 10-year-old Gillis. Oh, now we're in high school, right? Oh, now Acting we're high one. School. Yeah. Was it in that yeah. class that you first realized how much respect you had for theatrical discipline was it or is that something that sort of evolved later for you as an artist
1: i was very disciplined from the beginning and i think i took it extremely seriously and there were some kids who did and there were some kids who didn't who saw that as a fun fun class this is
0: the easy a but yep. yeah
1: yeah but those of us who were really intent on it kind of gravitated together and we got the good roles and um we began to develop that sense of discipline and of course when I got in college it was very disciplined department and graduate school was very disciplined even beyond that yeah yeah Yeah. I mean you you late for rehearsal once and you're out because there are 300 majors standing behind you wanting to come in and get your role so it's that's that's how I was trained and um that's my work ethic. It's extremely serious, and yet it's delightfully fun, too, at the same time. But what's fun about it is this wonderful work you're able to put out through doing it. The thing that is the most exciting to me is the acting itself, the work itself. And you know know that feeling when you get out there and you're in the middle of a scene, and it's just working. It's just working. And you don't even feel like you're doing it. It just feels like it's taking you. And everything's had, you're completely confident, you're relaxed, but energized, and you know that everything is going to come out just right because it's just flowing in the moment. And that is such a feeling. We don't always have it. That's funny. That's that's how we talk about it. After we get off stage, we say, how'd it feel? Right. Did it feel good? How's, How's the, the audience? Yes. Yeah. What's the, the energy? Yeah. 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 It felt good. And what's simple words, it felt good to describe that feeling, which is indescribable, but it felt good.
0: <laughs> it's the most... It's the most alive I ever feel. Right. when you're on stage and a scene goes so well, yeah. it's just the best. In my opinion, it's the best. It's
1: the best thing on earth. It, it is. It is. I, I absolutely agree, and that's what keeps bringing it back, goes back keeps to it, coming back.
0: <laughs> Where did you go for your undergraduate degree?
1: Um, I got my undergraduate degree at Cal State Fullerton, but I had been to several schools first, so I finished it there, and then I did my graduate work at Cal State Fullerton. So I I school hopped. I was kind of a late bloomer as far as school. I went to a community college and majored in acting and got a two-year degree. Sure. And then I got married, which wasn't the best idea (laughs) at that time. And after that mistake, I went back to school. and went to Cal State San Bernardino for a while. And they had a very good department. And then um, I transferred credits over to Cal State, Fullerton to finish it up there. And then went into the graduate program.
0: Wow.
1: It was an excellent program. Really, really good. I'm very grateful for the education I got.
0: What were some of the teachers that really influenced you?
1: Oh, Gretchen Connie. I adored her. She was she's a stage actress in New York. And, um, man, she was good. She she wouldn't let you hit a false note. Everything wow. was so true. And we used to have a joke after, if we saw anybody upset or, or weepy or anything, we'd say, oh, she's been to Gretchen's class. <laughs> He's been to Gretchen's class. You couldn't go through that class without crying. It was just very, very intense all the time, and she she made us do it. If we couldn't, if we weren't doing it, she would just make us go at it and at it and at it and at it until it was real. Until we were hitting, we used to call the wet stuff.
0: Hmm. And
1: it was it was quite a stunning experience. We had four hour labs every day. Wow. Uh, A class that started with seven people, um, five eventually made it through. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but we work with the same people every day, four days a week, for four hours, just doing scene work, doing exercises. And when you work with people that love over a three-year period, and that small of a group, you develop an enormous trust. So you can try just about anything. They become like your spouse, practically. You know them so well. So there's a great freedom in that. And sometimes I kind of long to be in that environment again, that that absolutely free-you-can-do-anything environment. Because, you know, we put, we put our own barriers up when we're working. I've gotten better about that over the years. I think that's one thing that maturity gives you that is priceless, is you start to let go of those restraints that you put on yourself. So I you I'm going to look stupid. Oh, I, I I might look awkward doing this or... I might look ugly if I make that face. You say, yeah, what the hell? And you just do it anyway. And so if there is something good about getting older, that's, that's one of the very good things. But that's um, something you absolutely need as an actor is that freedom and trust and that willingness to just do it. And I see so many actors who haven't reached that point, who a director will ask them to try something, and they just freeze and they put up this wall, and they can't go past that wall. They can't go past that wall because they're just afraid. And it's heartbreaking, right? Because mm-hmm. yeah. you know they have it in them. hmm They and just this, can't, yeah.
0: They're censoring themselves for yeah. whatever reason. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's a protective thing. But, and that's what, I mean, a couple of the people who didn't make it through my program, that was why in graduate school. It's because they put up the wall, and they couldn't quite go past the wall. And that's, that's the difference. And some of us love to go past the wall how do you I'm fascinated by
0: how how actors keep themselves emotionally and psychologically healthy especially going through a rigorous program like that are there what do you do to sort of protect yourself protect yourself but still be able to take those big risks being able to exit the lab and transition back into everyday life
1: yeah, you know, I never really had a problem with that. Um, I think there's, there's aspects of me in every role I work on, and I just let those aspects come out. And uh, boy, I remember doing an exercise in a class where I had, the, the exercise was that I was a, a woman who had been drunk, and it hit a child and killed the child and i remember just i was just broken doing that i was sobbing and the guy who was playing the father was just shooting these daggers out of his eyes and i was i was on the floor i mean it was the most intense emotional thing but after it was over i actually felt very relaxed and this had come through it's like it's like you let your body be the vehicle for what's passing through it. It just passes through. It utilizes your instrument for a while and then it drains out and then it's gone. And it, it's actually a, a catharsis. I, I feel good. Um, even in Dead Man's Cell Phone, we're doing some really intense emotional stuff. And last night we had a rehearsal where I think I personally was able to dig deeper on some of that stuff that I had previously. And you know, I was crying. My mascara was under my eyes. I like, geez, i got to get waterproof mascara mm. for the show. But afterwards it, it it's like it's a release. It 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 doesn't stay with me. I mean certain images maybe that you experience doing a role can can kinda of darken your world a little bit. But um and, and these things are in all of us too, which makes it a little bit creepy. But I, I think if you're if you're essentially a healthy person, mm-hmm. I, I guess that's a big if. <laughs> you can keep it separate from your real self and just recognize it as an aspect of every person. We all have a little bit of everything inside us, and that's what we allow to dominate that rules. But it's strange. It is strange. It, it kind of shakes you up.
0: What in graduate school? What? what acting philosophies really resonated with you? Are you a Meisner person? Are you, or is it sort of just you picked did you pick and choose what worked best for you out of the...
1: We did a lot of different things. Um, I loved a lot of stuff that, um, a lot of the Michael Chekhov stuff. Sure. And I, I thought that stuff was really, really um, valuable. Oh, and I can't think of the name. There's an, oh, heavens. Nothing you know, thing that's not so good about getting old. Can't remember anything, <laughs> but um, yeah, of course. You know, uh, Stanislavski we went back to the basic old Stanislavski stuff, and um, Uta Hagen, mm-hmm. and that stuff was very, very good. Um, my my instructors came from a variety of backgrounds, which was good because we we got to do a lot of different exercises from the basic. You know. Drinking the imaginary cup of coffee exercise to, um, simple, simplifying reality based exercises. And, um, but I loved doing that stuff. (laughs) I'd love to do that stuff again.
0: Sort of like being a kid in a candy
1: store. Yeah. Acting classes when
0: they're taught well.
1: Yeah. When they're taught well. Yeah.
0: What were some of your favorite roles from your time in school?
1: Let's see. I played. Um, I did uh, Brighton Beach Memoirs and played Blanche, the sister, and that was tons of fun doing that. That was um, it was it was a beautiful script. And I thought, oh, Neil Simon, Neil Simon, that's going to be silly, but it was a beautifully written script, and there was um, some beautiful family relationships in that that we were able to develop that I really enjoyed playing. Um, we did a production of The Dining Room, which was the first time I ever did multiple roles. And that was really fun to do. I love doing things where you do, you know, multiple
0: roles. Get to wear a few different hats. Yeah. And I remember that from, oh my gosh, Lather Rinse Repeat. You were hysterical. You played three different roles, is that right? Or yeah, even more than that, maybe. Three.
1: How many did I play? I played the little old lady and the skanky and the mother of the bride. <laughs> That was fun. That was campy, but it was a lot of fun doing that. So, yeah. There's, oh, gee, there's been a lot of good stuff. A lot of good stuff. At what years.
0: point did you start directing? Because you also have some background in costume design as well, right? Yes, yes. So were those sort of things that were naturally emerging from the acting training and being in the theater? Or how did you become interested in, in both of those sort of...
1: Yeah, I actually majored in design for my undergrad okay and i did both i did acting and i did design so i thought my reasoning was if you're gonna try and be an actor you need something to fall back on (laughs) don't we all hear that from our parents about a thousand times of course you know it it doesn't work but i did costume and i really enjoyed it for a while it's um it's it's a very difficult job but i enjoy design and um and I did some freelance design work before I moved to Whidbey Island for a couple of colleges. And I was um, a graduate assistant in the costume shop at Cal State Fullerton while I was a student there, which was great to have an non- right. on campus job. So, and um, yeah, but that, I found out it's kind of funny as I started doing it professionally. But what I really like to do is make costumes for myself. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, you know, this isn't as much fun doing it's it for these other for people me. when it's not for me. So I kind of segue. I do still make costumes, but I don't do them for the theater anymore.
0: You make costumes. Can we talk about your dogs for a little bit? Of course. Because
1: you're sort of, you're not a stage mom, but you're a, a, a dog mom. I'm a dog mom. You have Koa and you have Buddy. I have Koa and Buddy. Ko is a golden retriever. He weighs 100 pounds. <laughs> and Buddy is a little, a little pug.
0: <laughs> Which you uh, adopted from WAIF.
1: We adopted Buddy from WAIF a little over a year ago.
0: And he... You make these fantastic matching costumes for these dogs, and they seem to enjoy it, or
1: tolerate it at least. Buddy seems to enjoy it. Yeah, Buddy's good. I, he doesn't like getting dressed it's a little bit. He's kind of like, Mother, what are you doing? But once I get it on him, he poses for the camera, <laughs> and I get all kinds of cute little pictures of him. And he's super, super cute. And he has a Facebook page, Buddy the Puglet. Mm-hmm. And Koa also has a Facebook page, oh. Koa Golden Retriever of the World, and his sidekick, <laughs> Buddy the Pug. And so you can see their little outfits on there. And actually, um, I plan to do that in the future, is um, do a little clothing line for dogs.
0: Absolutely. That seems like the fun. perfect thing to do with your background.
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> A little clothing line for dogs. I know they never complain about the fit or I don't like this color or this isn't me. My character to me? wouldn't wear this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: There's none of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, when did you first start directing?
1: I, well, actually, I taught acting, and so that's how I really kind of learned right. directing is through teaching acting. And um, I taught a a couple things in, or directed a couple things in school, a couple one act plays in school. And I was set to direct my first show at Victor Valley College, right before I moved. And so then my first full-length play I directed was um, at Wicca, The Mousetrap.
0: What do you look for in a good, what kind of plays speak to you as a director? And is it different from what? Kind of place you go after as an actor or is there some overlap
1: it's actually similar um i i'm i like character driven pieces with small casts <laughs> where you can really dig down and explore relationships i i don't want to herd cats I right <laughs> i like uh, the the work the acting work is what I really enjoy and I'm not so crazy about keeping track of props and scene changes and all this stuff I'm I'm interested in character-driven pieces and relationships
0: I I sort of had a moment of zen there because it's like that's that's what I love that's what I love
1: when you have a good piece where you're really connecting with the other Uh people and you're yeah, that's, that's is what theater is about, and huge plays with lots of spectacle. There's a place for them, and I enjoy them, but that's not my particular thing. I like small, intimate pieces that connect with the audience emotionally rather than through big spectacle.
0: Absolutely. What roles are on your bucket list? I know, I know, one of them. I know the answer to one of these, but
1: Blanche De Bois. <laughs> That's the list. Attention, Whitby Island directors. <laughs> that is shameless self-promotion. Seattle shameless directors too. Yeah. Any? Oh, any? Yeah. I, I was I listening? Any, yeah. So yes. What is it about um, that role? I just think it's so brilliant. I love Tennessee Williams. It just—it's so brilliant, and it's so—it's oh, so complex. It's so textured. There's so much to that woman, and um, there's so much so much pain in there and that struggle to cover i layers are so fascinating to me when you have this core of this intense pain and you're covering it with this layer and you're covering with that layer and with that layer and once in a while those layers crumble and something pokes through that is so exciting to work on and i just think it's a beautifully written role it's um she's vulnerable she's Crude in a way. Uh, she's she's beautiful and ugly at the same time. I just think it's a fascinating role. And of course, Lady Macbeth. You know, I wouldn't mind playing Lady Macbeth.
0: <laughs> it's interesting. There was a I don't know if you saw it, but there was a, a director uh, who's based in London. I think who recently uh, wrote this piece. I think for the Guardian, saying that, uh, and they had used Lady M and and Blanche as examples that. Audiences are made uncomfortable by unsympathetic female leading characters, whereas they don't necessarily have, we're sort of predisposed to root for a male protagonist who's very flawed. But we feel uncomfortable when we see a woman carrying a play.
1: What are your thoughts on that? Well, that's absurd. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I, I would hope that these kinds of attitudes are changing over time, yeah. but I always think it, it's up to the individual production and it's up to the actor because the thing is, no, no character believes she's evil. No right. character believes she's a villain or, or bad in any way. You have to find her truth. And what is she trying to do? And she's trying to do what she thinks is the right thing and the only way she knows how to do it. And I think that's the key to making any character, I would say sympathetic because the audience might not necessarily like them, but at least they understand them and can accept what they do. Even if it's not too pleasant. You know, I, I struggled with that when I played Roxy Hart. Right. I loved doing that and I thought I was pretty good. But <laughs> I, I mean, if I say so myself, I don't say it, it was terrible. But some people just didn't like Roxy. And if you think about uh, what she does, right? yeah. Yeah, they just didn't like Roxy. And I thought, but she's, she's pitiful. She's doing the only, she she has such a need for attention that she's doing these things just because she's so lost. She has such a need for attention. So maybe I, I fell short in that respect. I didn't tap into that enough. But um, it, it, it's, that is really a challenge. And you do need to find the vulnerability. And because the vulnerability is where all that stuff comes from. It's why people behave in behave badly is mm. because they're they're trying to, to soothe themselves, trying to cover something. Right. So yeah, it's it's I, I think the key is finding the, the truth, the reason why characters do these deeds. Nobody thinks they're a villain. Everybody thinks they have a just reason for doing what they do.
0: i I like what you said before about hopefully audiences' attitudes changing and I'm heartened by productions that um i've seen all-female productions of shakespeare i've seen i saw an all-female production of 1776 with the <laughs> seattle musical theater and wow. it's fantastic yeah they had made all the costumes for the women and it made me look at that piece in a completely different way and it not only held up because it's one of my favorite musicals but it elevated it as well and okay. so i hope I'm heartened by directors who make decisions like that. Yeah. Cause there's always, there's always more women who show up for an audition uh-huh. there's usually fewer roles for them. And yeah. so I think I'm hopeful that the, that the theatrical landscape will continue to shift because there's so many great, great actresses out
1: there and yeah.
0: I want there to be roles for all of them. I all, know. For all of us. For I all know. of us. God. Yes.
1: <laughs> I know. And it is true. That can be very exciting. And it, it is good. That's the wonderful thing about theaters. You can take the same piece and do it over and over and over and over it again. And no two productions are going to be alike. And so you have that possibility to to experiment and try different things and bring new new life in um, Dead Man's Cell Phone. We're actually it, it's been Phil's choice to play the show very straight, and it's been played often. If you look at clips on YouTube, it's been played as slapstick comedy. Soap opera,
0: almost. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: And uh, Phil, Phil is, has a very strong vision and a very strong belief that we play it straight. And that's what we're doing. And it's kind of risky. It's kind of risky when we're out there playing this straight.
0: I'm interested to see how that... I'm very much looking forward to the show. And I think I think a little bit about um, when, when they did God of Carnage at the Island Center for the Arts. And again... Mm-hmm the vision was to be very straight with it. And yet humor emerges. Mm -hmm. Humor emerges from not mugging or not hitting the joke too hard from letting life play out naturalistic in a naturalistic way because gosh, humans are so laughable in what we Mm -hmm. think Mm -hmm. important and how we behave with one another
1: Mm -hmm. and and what we think is okay. And absolutely. 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 Yeah, God of Carnage is a great example. I loved that production. Yeah, it was just me too, excellent. And it is—it's—it's it's some very ugly stuff going on between those people, and it, it was hilarious. I found myself just convulsed with laughter. It's true. And we had somebody sitting in last night watching. afterwards. she said, "You know, I thought this was funny, but I didn't know if I was supposed to laugh." Yeah, and that's going to happen in this play. And that's that freedom that you get mm-hmm. when you have when you have a full
0: audience, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes with those preview audiences, they're not. Sometimes audiences need the permission of someone else.
1: Absolutely. To start
0: laughing. I don't have that program. I don't have that program. The problem. The problem. Sometimes, a lot of times I am actually shushed by other (laughs) audience members for (laughs) laughing too loudly. But that's how my friends know that I'm in the audience. So I'm not going to change it.
1: Yeah. And we love that. Woodsex
0: in the audience. (laughs) Hear Hear it over the monitor. So. Dead Man's Cell Phone opens October 9th, runs for three weekends. Please visit wiccaonline.org to get your tickets. You're not going to miss this show. Gail, thank you so much for being on the podcast.
1: Thank you, Katie. This was fun.